Go for it. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, everybody. You might all be looking at me this morning and thinking, hmm, she looks a bit different today. Can anyone tell me why I look a bit different today? I am wearing a dress. Those of you who have been um, in church at all over the last few decades um, will be able to testify to the fact that I have never, ever worn a dress to a Sunday morning service. I live with the life philosophy that jeans and track pants are a gift from the Lord and that dresses are only to be worn on three different kinds of occasions. Number one is when I go out for nice dinners with my mum. Number two is when you have to go to a party or an event that requires it as part of the dress code. And number three is weddings. And as a culture, we love weddings, don't we? We love what they represent of new covenants being made and new promises being made and new family units starting. We love the love and the atmosphere, and the joy, and the food, and the fellowship, and just the overall joy that weddings represent. And I think we can all agree that one of the best parts of weddings is the anticipation of the bride arriving and seeing the groom's face when she does. Would people agree with me that that's like, you know, it's a, it's a nice point, it's a nice point. But here's the thing. We are not the only generation of people to love weddings. In fact, one could make the argument that Jesus loved weddings due to how he incorporated them and the Jewish customs around them during his ministry. The launch of his ministry happened at a wedding where he turned water into wine. In Ephesians, us, the church, are described as the bride of Christ. And Jesus uses imagery of weddings as an illustration of what the kingdom is like throughout his teaching in the parables. The parable of the wedding feast, for example, talks about a king who prepares a wedding feast and none of the invited guests show up. Well, today, I am in a dress, because we are all about to head to a wedding. And today, I invite you to join me in taking up the invite into another parable with a wedding narrative, where we will join others in the age-old love of waiting for the bride to arrive and the wedding to start. So if you have your Bibles with you, can I um, invite you to join me? In Matthew 25, verse 1, it is titled, The Parable of the Ten Virgins, which reads, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, 
and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And this parable is so beautiful in its layering. And from it, we can learn so much about the kingdom of God. This parable, absolutely, for example, is Jesus taking the opportunity before he heads to the cross in a few chapters to allude to the fact that he will one day come back. The parable, also like the others that come after it, hints at the fact that when Jesus does return, a separation of those who have walked with him well will occur from those who haven't. This parable is then absolutely an urging from Jesus to live a righteous life and to walk with him. Heaven is illustrated as a wedding feast not to be missed out on. All of these things are true and can be seen by those who are looking and searching as they encounter these words. But as I read this, I also detect another minor theme coming through. And as we conclude our series on using our gifts and talents today, I wanted to bring this minor theme forward for us to all mull on. And that is the theme of time. Over the last few weeks, we have been talking about using what God has given us, both in terms of our spiritual gifts, but also in terms of our talents and passions. Um, for example, things such as cooking and praying and giving and all manner of things. Worship. However, there is something else that we all possess that I believe God would remind us of today as we wrap up the series. And that is the gift of the hours, the days, and the years that we have here on earth. We all have been pulled from the chasms of destiny created by God with God-given gifts and talents and placed by him here on earth now with time to use. Time is one of our greatest possessions. There is a saying that you can tell what someone's priorities are in life by simply looking at their calendar and how they spend their time. 
If someone who did not know you at all found your phone and looked at your calendar, what would it say about you? Boldly, does your calendar reflect that of someone who wants to be and is being used by God to build his kingdom, if indeed that is your desire? How are you using the gift of time that you have? So as we consider and look at our calendars, I wanted to ask you two questions this morning, and these two questions are based off two observations about the five virgins in this parable who missed out on the wedding feast because of their lack of planning and preparedness. So observation one, which will lead to question number one. The five virgins who missed out on entering the wedding feast took time for granted and assumed that they had more of it to get ready. In Jewish society, the parents of the bride and groom would more often than not arrange the marriage between their children and would draw up a marriage contract. Sometimes the bride and the groom would meet for the very first time on the day that this contract was signed. And once the contract was signed, the couple were considered betrothed and they were considered married. However, they did not actually live together at this point. Once the contract was signed, the bride would remain with her parents and the groom would also return to his parents' house where he would spend time setting up a room for him and his bride. The process of preparing a room could take quite a while, several months perhaps. But once the room was ready, the groom would return for his bride without notice. The bride did not know the day or the hour that her groom would come back for her. Note that our parable said that the groom arrived at midnight. And according to my research, the groom would wear splendid clothing and a procession of his friends would walk with him to his bride's house and the bride would get dressed in her finest and followed by her bridesmaids, which were often ten in number, hence the ten in the parable, would then proceed back to her new home where an official marriage ceremony would take place and a wedding feast would follow. Celebrations would often last for days as the Jews of the time, like us today, enjoyed these joy-filled occasions. It all sounds quite lovely, doesn't it? However, if you have been in a wedding or observed one at close range, you may be as alarmed as I am at the prospect of the bride not knowing the day or the hour that her groom would come for her. I have been a bridesmaid five times. And so I know the drill of wedding day procedure pretty darn well. Um, here are just three of the photos. Turns out putting five photos onto one slide is actually quite hard. So anyway, there have been five. So I know wedding day drills really well. I know the exact speed to walk down the aisle. <laughs> I know what kind of photos photographers will want. The most annoying one 
it just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts every time. Is when the photographer tells you to look at the person beside you and laugh. And it's like, well, then tell me something to laugh about then. But it's just a photo of fake laughter. I also know that you have to hold your flowers when you're having your photo taken. You hold your flowers so that the top of them is facing out. You don't hold your flowers up like this, because then the only thing the photographer can see is like the stalk. You hold them facing outwards. Fun fact for you. And so I know that to make a day go smoothly, you need to have a schedule and the timing's worked out. In our culture, a date and a time is set months and months in advance. We even send save the dates out months and months in advance and official invitations so that people know where they have to be and when. And at exactly what time. But as per our Jewish custom, the bride didn't know, and neither did her bridesmaids. All they could do was wait and prepare as best as they could. They couldn't afford to waste time because they truly did not know how much of it they had. And Jesus has intentionally chosen this well-known set of wedding customs to make parallels between them and the kingdom of God. Our parable tells of five virgins or bridesmaids who, because they knew that time was limited, made the most of the hours and the days that presented themselves. They made sure that they had oil for their lamps and had them with them even though the groom was delayed. The other five, described as foolish, did no such thing. They did not get themselves ready. When the groom finally did arrive, they were unprepared and had to leave and go out and find the oil needed, arriving back to discover that the door was shut. The time that they had and had taken for granted had run out. And like the virgins, we as believers today do not know when Jesus, the groom in this parable, is going to come back. The Bible says that nobody, no earthly man, no angels in heaven, nor even the Son, know the time or the hour that Jesus will return. Only the Father knows. For all we know, Jesus might be coming back in the next 30 minutes. Maybe he'll let us have our toasties and coffee in the cafe afterwards and choose to come back later this afternoon or this evening. Or maybe he's coming back in a year or a hundred from now. But like the bride and her bridesmaids in our parable, we do not know. There is no save the date card for his return. Just the announcement that he one day will. But here's the thing. This parable was spoken approximately 2,000 years ago. And every day that passes is one day closer. His return is closer today 
than it ever has been before. And when he does arrive, we know that a separation will occur between those who have prepared and walked with God and those who haven't. If we enjoy wedding feasts in our earthly state, imagine how good the feasts of heaven are going to be, folks. How marvelous it's going to be. But this parable, like many other of Jesus' teachings, also makes it clear that not everybody will be allowed in. Now, I personally have operated with the belief that Jesus won't return in my lifetime for pretty much all of my lifetime. But I don't know that for sure. And neither do you. And so we must ask ourselves, are we ready for his return whenever it is? Do our friends and our family and our colleagues know about him? Or would they be looking at a shut door if he arrived back soon? Will this community around us be entering into the wedding feast because of our church body and how we used our time to represent the kingdom and share the good news. What would you do differently if you knew the exact date of Jesus' return? Like the five virgins in our parable who got themselves prepared, who were described as wise, we should not take the time that we have for granted. We should not assume that we have it. And we should be intentional with every day. And perhaps understanding these truths would see us, or me at least, living with more fire and a greater sense of urgency not to delay walking into everything that God would have us do. This parable literally finished with Jesus saying, Watch therefore. You do not know the day or the hour. Now, this should be especially compounded by the fact that while we don't know when Jesus is coming back, we also have no idea how long we personally have here on earth. We don't know how many days we have left to use what God has given us for kingdom building and to share the good news with those around us. Now, never fear, I'm not going to talk about death and get all morbid and spend the rest of the time talking about graduating, which is what we call it in my family, when you graduate. Um, We are at a wedding after all. But I do feel like sometimes we can also take for granted and live our lives under the assumption that we ourselves have lots of time left here on earth. But James, a book known for its totally blunt and direct instruction, speaks against this assumption. In chapter 4, verse 13, the section is titled, Boasting About Tomorrow. And it reads, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Our life is but a vapour. We are but mist, and our time on earth is at God's discretion. No matter what our age and our stage, we must not assume that we have lots of time left. In fact, if we do, the scripture says it is a kind of arrogance. Everything we have in terms of our possessions, our finances, our talents, and our time is for him and from him. He giveth and he taketh it away. It is up to him how much time we get. And he doesn't share with us how many tomorrows we have. Folks, we are already at the end of March. 25% of another year is gone. It has been nearly two years since John and Sandra finished their season with us. It has been three years since COVID first came to New Zealand. It has been almost four years since we lost to England in the Rugby World Cup final. <laughs> Speaking of Brits, Seb has been pastoring with us for six years. For those of us um, who were here when Pastor Paul and Christine uh, left and they went up the North Island and they were in senior leadership for 20 years and they came back. For those of you who were planted in SABC for the duration of that time will say that it didn't feel like 20 years. Those of you who have been um, around for a while may also remember when I looked like this. Um, yeah, I rocked the frown on the right for about a decade, and I own that. I own that. But family, I turned 31 two weeks ago. I know I don't look it. Um, those of you who watched me grow up will also remember um, my younger sister, Becky. Um, and when I celebrated turning 31, her one-year-old wee girl celebrated turning a year. And she took her first steps this week. Time flies by. And popular phrases that fill our society include words to that effect. Where has the time gone? We say. Or that's come around quick. Or the years seem to be going by faster and faster. Do these sound familiar? Who would admit to having had them come out of their mouth recently? Time does fly by. And yet, much like the five virgins who were unprepared that night that the groom arrived, we can so easily take it for granted. We can act and live like we have decades left but none of us know the day or the hour of Jesus' return, and none of us know when our little time here on earth will finish. We are but a vapour. 
serving the one who controls it all. Join me in being confronted by that. So to return to our calendars, which are a reflection of our priorities, as I said at the start, as you look at how you currently spend your days and weeks, answer this first question. Does your calendar reflect someone who is ready? Someone who knows that Jesus may come back at any time. And someone who knows that their time is limited and who is acting on their priorities here and now with a sense of urgency. To step into this parable and put ourselves in the house, waiting for the groom to arrive, are you and your lamp prepared? Or perhaps, do you, like me, take time a bit for granted sometimes? So, I realise that's been a bit intense, so now we'll have a break. Um, Who saw the newsletter this week? Delightful. Who dressed in wedding attire? There we go. Robert and Denise, welcome to the wedding. Here's a wedding favour. Oh, golly, Bajingas, I really need to practice. Did anyone else? Robin Holland and Tori. Uh, you know what? My best come to the aisles, I think. Very good. Oh, golly. Here you go. That's better. So to recap, observation one from our parable today is that the five virgins who were locked out of the party took time a bit for granted and were unprepared. They assumed they had more of it. And as believers today, we can look at our calendars and ask ourselves if we take time for granted and if we are prepared for both Jesus coming and our own graduation. But there's just one other second thing relating to time that I observe in this parable, and that is this, that because it was midnight, and because they thought they had more time, the bridesmaids were asleep. They weren't out on the town or talking with each other as bridesmaids do the night before weddings. Um, or making wedding decorations, or using their time for any wedding-related activity. They were asleep, which is understandable because it was midnight. But my second observation is therefore this, that their assumption that they had more time led to the behavior of sleeping. If someone had been on lookout and has seen the groom's procession coming in the distance, and had alerted all the ladies, there's no way they would have returned to bed. They slept, thinking that the groom was delayed, and therefore that there was a guarantee that they would have more time tomorrow. That another day would present itself with the opportunity to keep preparing. Their assumption that they had more time, that another day would arrive, that the groom was delayed, led them to feeling safe and comfy. And to translate this back to us, 
now, here as the Christians of today, 2,000 years later, is it possible that our assumptions about having lots of time are also guiding our behaviour? Are we sometimes, metaphorically, a little bit asleep? Some of you are right now. <laughs> Their assumption that they had more time, that another day would... Hang on, I read that bit. Now, having regular rest is important. I am a fan, it is biblical. And physical sleep is actually vital for our well-being. I am also a living testament to that. So I am not saying at all that we should reduce rest or sleep. <laughs> but what I am suggesting is that there are sometimes things that can take up a lot of our finite time without us actually realising it. Things that kind of put us into a bit of a sleepy kind of state and that take time away from our priorities without us actually realising what they are. What kind of things do you think I'm talking about? We've got a social media. Yes, I have chocolate for you. I forgot to bring it up. But yes, Tanya, social media. What else? <laughs> Train me. Maybe. <laughs> okay, we're not going to dive into some dynamics, so we're going to stop it there. Um, so, for example... An admittedly very quick Google search revealed these things. The average New Zealander spends one hour and 53 minutes on social media every day. One hour and 53 minutes scrolling home pages and seeing what other folks are up to. And Facebook and Instagram or whatever platform that you're on, these platforms are actually designed to take as much of your time as you will give it. They're designed to be addictive. One former employee of Facebook literally said, you have a business model designed to engage you and get you to basically suck as much time out of your life as possible, and then selling that attention to advertisers. Did you get that? designed to suck as much of our time as possible. The average amount of time spent on TV is even higher, at two hours and 48 minutes every day. To return to our phrases, the years go by so fast, or where does the time go, literally research would indicate that a good chunk of it, and a good chunk of our finite time and our years, goes to these things. Almost 10% for some of us. Things that can take us away from preparing for the arrival of the groom and kingdom building during our short time on earth. Christians in the church is often described as an army for the Lord. And this can be such an exciting image, can't it? Ephesians 6 is a very well-known piece of scripture. What does it talk about? The armor of the Lord, that's right. And we love this imagery of being equipped to go out into God's battle and to do, um, to do work for him. 
and to take territory and to change lives. However, I wonder if sometimes God is our commander and king is sounding the battle horn and calling us to action through the megaphone, but instead of watching us rallying and quickly taking up our positions, he finds us, his army, in front of a screen. Now, I am not saying that watching TV is always bad. Um, one of the things that I do to relax is watch movies and go to the movies. If Julie Andrews was to make a song about Anna Button's favorite things, um, going to the movies would be in verse one, okay? I love, like, yeah, just being able to go into a room, it going dark, it's like t turning your phone off. It's like two hours of uninterrupted focus on something else. It's like a brain break. It doesn't happen very often, admittedly. Like, I could probably count the amount of times I've done it in my lifetime on one hand. But, you know, when you buy popcorn or a drink or a chocolate-dipped ice cream, it's just a good time, you know? And I enjoy going with people, but I have also been known to go to the movies by myself. Okay? So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of movies. Um, likewise, I also think that with boundaries, social media is a great platform to be inspired by people that we admire and to learn things that we wouldn't learn otherwise. The story that I shared a couple of weeks back about Brooke Cliggettwood's guitar, who remembers that, was a story that I found on Instagram. I found that story by following her and watching um, those posts that she herself shared about Leah. Um, Brooke Cliggettwood also um, last year, she was having conversations and talking about this author whose book she had been reading. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting. And so I looked up this author and preacher, and I have since bought his book on preaching and have read it and have attended his preaching course in Canada online. Okay? Probably never would have heard about it if I didn't follow Brooke on social media. So these things can help us relax, and they can be good. But they can also be significant, time-taking distractions if we are not careful. And when I look at the board out there, where ministry leaders have outlined the help that they need to fulfill their dreams and to head into the territory where God, they feel God is calling, many of those needs are things that can actually be done in less time than one episode. Seb, for example, when him and Tara were up here, Seb shared about how he had this dream for setting up a mentoring program where young people would be connected with adults in the church just to have someone in the wider church family who showed an interest in them and their journey and their growth. And Seb literally said that you didn't have to be that qualified or even that hip or cool. Okay? He said that you just had to have a heart for seeing young people doing well and be willing to make the time every now and again to catch up with a young person. If you are someone who said in the church profile two years ago that seeing young people in church was important to you and for this church's future, would you consider making time in your calendar and catching up with a young person once a month? You could even invite them to watch a movie Last week, Robert Holland, I thought, shared so powerfully about his dreams 
for the welcome team and how he wanted to have more young people and more young parents um, joining him in the existing group of volunteers so that new people coming to our home for the first time would see that we are a family church where all ages and stages are welcome and part of us. Welcome team requires you to arrive about half an hour earlier to a place where you already would be coming. If you are someone who really cares about this church being inclusive and being welcoming, and you have a heart for seeing this church grow and new people coming, would you consider making time in your calendar to get to church early every couple of weeks? Not every week, every couple of weeks to greet. And last year, we had a church breakfast, and Pastor Paul shared about how one of the things that was really important for our church to grow was the cafe. And it has been so great to see people staying and fellowshipping more and more in the cafe after the services. And thank you to each of you who have been really intentional about this. But it takes manpower to make the cafe experience happen. Every couple of Sundays, again, not every Sunday, but every couple, could you put your name, could you put it in your calendar to help Sarah and Eli wash the cups and set them out? Could you help make toasties or work the till? All of these things that I have listed and many more, when you look at the board, will take less than one episode. They do not require you giving up TV or social media in its entirety. And again, I stress, I am not recommending that. But rather just every now and again. So my first question for the day, as we consider our calendars, was, does your calendar reflect someone who is ready and who is not taking time for granted? My second question for the day is, how are you spending the time? that you do have. And I can't answer that for you. I am just simply asking the questions and have to answer these myself in my personal reflection as well. So I'm inviting you to join me in the contemplation of how are you spending the time that you have. If we know Jesus is, if we know that, that Jesus is coming back at an unknown time, and that our own time on earth is limited, we must be intentional with the time that we are gifted with. We mustn't be asleep like the virgins in our parable and waste time to the point where we are unprepared. If we have it on our hearts to invite someone to dinner, we should put it in our calendars. How many times do we have the best intention of having someone over and it never does? If we have been meaning to read the Bible more, we should put it in our calendars. If we have an encouraging word for someone, we should not delay in giving it. If we have loved ones who don't yet know God, we should not delay in praying for them and asking God for opportunities to have conversations. And we should make the most of the opportunities to use our gifts and talents for him. Our calendars should reflect our intent to not delay in doing what we can to build his kingdom while we can. As the band come up, um, as Caleb has said, today is the last day of our series on using gifts and talents. 
Uh, next week, you're going to hear from the Thai team all about their trip, which is going to be really, really awesome. And then we're going to be heading into Easter. The whiteboard out there and the boat are going to be taken down after today. So this morning is your last chance to have a look at the different needs that exist within our church body and to respond. Please, if you have not already done so, take the time today to read this board. Take the time to consider your calendar. Are there things that God would have you do? Um, But I also felt today to bring some other words through. So Robert, um, during the praise time, he's brought through the word about encouragement. So if you are someone who is in a season of actually feeling really discouraged and really weighted down, whether it be with regards to using your gifts and talents or whether it be in general, can I encourage you to come and to get prayer during the ministry time as well? But as we've walked through this series, there may be some more of you who know who know that you have a gift or a talent that you have been given by God but are yet to use. You may have God dreams that you are yet to action or to act on. Like the man in the parable of the talents, you may have stuff buried. For whatever reason it may be, whether it be uh, past hurts, whether it be discouragement, whether it be fear, whether it be beliefs about yourself, whether it be shame, whether it be beliefs about God... There are barriers in your life that are limiting you and causing you to delay doing what God has called you into. Can I just encourage you today that maybe this morning, March the 26th, 2023, is a great time to receive prayer and to deal with some of that stuff. Barriers, whatever they may be, will rob you of time. And don't delay then in being bold and beginning the journey of dealing with those things. So if you would like prayer for anything, can I encourage you to come down the front um, as the band play. Why don't you stand with us? We're just going to sing this next song, but as Anna mentioned, please feel free to come down for prayer. Every heart that is broken 